Okay, we're going to keep looking at the book of Ephesians. I hope it's going to come up on the screen. We're going to look at the second half of chapter 2 today. So, uh, you all know how it starts. I hope, if you've been around. We are going to read out the passage. And I've shortened it today, just because I think it's quite a long passage, and there's quite a lot of detail that goes through uh, what the Gentiles used to be, and some of it maybe is a little bit unnecessary for us to really focus on. So let's go. We're going to read this together. Christ himself has brought peace to us. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made of of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Amen. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. Um, Verse 17 says this. We can... Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. It begins talking about peace. Now, peace has many different aspects to it, but one aspect of peace that's really important for us to get is the peace of reconciliation. We have peace relationally now between us and God. Now, you should understand this as an assurance of your welcome by God into his presence. Not because of how good you've been or how bad you've been, but just because how great Jesus' sacrifice was. There's an assurance of welcome. So if you ever meet anybody and they kind of say to you, I I just don't know if I could come to God, then what would you say to them? You'd say, do you know what? You can be assured of a welcome by God. He will welcome you into his presence. Whoever you are, you might be the filthiest sinner going, but you'll be welcomed into his presence because of Jesus. That's the truth of the gospel. Now let me just explain this to you. If we just jump forward to the picture that I've got there. Now this uh, is where I went to university. This is St. John's College, Cambridge, and this is the chapel. Now, has anybody ever been to Cambridge or like as a tourist? So just have a look around. It's a big tourist hotspot, isn't it? And people love to go around, see the old buildings, and kind of have a look around what was going on. Now, I lived in my second year just to the right-hand side of this in one of these old buildings. And we'd have tourists come in every single day into the college, and they'd, they'd pay and they'd have a look around. Now, one thing that, that tourists were not allowed to do was to go up to the top of that, what's, it's kind of a spire, isn't it? You see the big tall bit at the top? Now, at the top of there, you get the best views of all of the city. So if, if you went up there, you could see just everywhere, and you see the, the Cam River going through, you could see all the old buildings, see everywhere, and it was a beautiful place to go, but only people who were in the college were allowed to go up there. 
So tourists weren't allowed to go up there. And the way that this worked was that you'd go to what was called the porter's lodge. That's what we called the people who worked there, the porter's lodge. And you'd ask them for a key. And you'd get the key, which is a really big fat key, and you'd walk across, and you can just see maybe uh, next to the really big way in, there's a little doorway. Can you see it? Just to the left. Little wooden doorway. And uh, the porter would say, as you got the keys, have you got a torch? And he'd say, yeah, I've got a torch. Yeah, I've got a torch. He'd take a torch. And you put a key into the doorway, and, and it, it creaks open. And as it creaks open, you step into a place that obviously not many people go. It's not a tourist route. There may be one person or two people a month who go into this place. And so as it creaks open, you realise there's no lights and there's stone steps in front of you, and the only light you've got is literally your torch. And as you close the door behind you, you can lock it so that people don't come in, close the door and lock it behind you, you're suddenly looking, and, and uh, that's how it works. Now, when I first got there, uh, we were, we, I was courting, you might say, dating this attractive one at the front here, and I thought to myself, I know, I'm going to impress her, I'm going to take her up here, She's going to see the most amazing views of the city. And as she sees it, she'll say, Oh, Tom. I'm so privileged to be dating you. And she'd look across at my eyes, and I'd print out my lips, and she would... And it would... I, I, I thought of it for days, in advance. So here we go. Creek open the old wooden door. In. She comes in behind me. Lock the door. Now, Lizzie. I'm going to show you a special thing not many people get to see now. And so we start walking up the steps. Now the steps, as you may have been, if you've ever been to a castle or to an old building, the stone steps are not even. They just use whatever stone there was. And, and it's incredibly dark. The only light you've got is your torch. And so you're walking around this spiral staircase like this, trying to work out where the steps are. Now one thing I didn't do in advance was check the batteries of the torch. So as we're going, it's a bit dim, and it just kind of vaguely illuminates the next step. So as, as we're going around, I'm trying to be confident, you know, I've got to, at the top, in my head, I've got to be impressive. So we're walking around the steps, and as we're going around, around these steps, they start, is he alright, is he alright? Yeah, it's alright, so just follow me, we'll be fine. And, and we go past this little slit. You know, you get occasional slits, like a little bit of light comes in there. Past that. And I'm thinking, we've been going a very long time up these steps. Surely we should have been at the top by now. And you start thinking to yourself, have I taken a wrong turn? And there is no wrong turn. You know what I mean? Your, your mind starts to play tricks on you. And as we went further up, the light of the torch gets dimmer and dimmer until you can barely see anything in front of you whatsoever. And that, at that exact moment, I hear this noise. <laughs> and I stop. And as he says, what's wrong? I said, there's something on the steps in front of us. What is it? I said, I don't know. The torch isn't very good. Another step. Gets a bit louder. 
conocí. Acá me dijo, ¿qué es? Left the torch and I swear, looking me in the eyes with the most intimidating thing you could ever see was an enormous fat pigeon. I have a phobia of pigeons. <laughs> As this thing looked at me, it was like, just go past it. And I said, I cannot go past this pigeon. That was too narrow for her to squeeze past me and go in front. So do you know what we did? I didn't get the at the top. We didn't even get to the top. I said, that's the end of the trip. Let's turn around and off we went back down. She's been learning to celebrate in the midst of disappointment ever since. And nobody's better at it than her. <laughs> Now then, the top is God. The key to the door is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the stairway is the work of the Spirit to bring you into his presence. But the pigeon is doubt and a sense of sin and a sense of, I can't make this journey because I'm not worthy. Now the torch is the truth of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection that means it's never about you. But what we see happening over and over again is that Christians, they have the key to the door, they open it up, they start making their way up the stairs and something stops them from really being with God. It says, we can just jump back to the gospel, we can come to the Father. You can, you have rights. You are a citizen. You can come to the Father. You have the key, you have everything you need. But over and over again, our torch, our understanding of the gospel is so dim that as we're on our journey, we stop And we settle for Christianity without intimacy with the Father. Do you get me? Intimacy with the Father is the best view of the city. It's where everybody would love to go if they could. Intimacy with God, friendship with Him, and yet over and over again, we allow ourselves to be stopped. No what this means. Know what this means. Remind yourself of the grace of the cross. Remind yourself that you can come to the Father. And if you do it, and do it again, you come now, a few weeks after Leslie came, my brother came to see me. And what did we do? I said to my brother, Have you got a torch? He said, I've got a torch on my phone. I said, I've also got a torch and I've got my phone as a backup. Three torches. <laughs> Do you know what happened? We just shot up to the top. We had the best views. We could walk around. Why? Because we prepared ourselves to understand you need the light. Now the gospel is the light. So let me ask you a question. Do you really know and believe the gospel? Do you? 
if you really know and believe the gospel, you will know what it is to be a friend of God. Now, there's no point in pretending. There's no point in pretending. You know in your heart if you really know God or not. You know if you do. And the answer to it is to understand the cross. It's because of what he has done by his spirit, you can just walk into the presence of your the God of all things. Now, for me, the biggest shift in my faith came when I actually decided I was going to come to the Father. Biggest shift in I wonder if you've had that moment where you think, there's a guy called J. John who you may know. He's like, you can be a Christian, but if, if you haven't got Christ, you're just an Ian. And who wants to be an Ian? <laughs> if your faith does not routinely and continually, oh, you've got an Ian. We love a bit of Ian. But it's his joke, it's his joke, you get it, you get it. If your faith is not bringing you into the presence of God, you're missing it. And for me, just the moments that shifted things was when I thought, do you know what? I'm actually going to start to pray. On my own, I'm going to actually start to pray. And when I pray, I'm going to expect to feel and sense that God is there listening to me and speaking to me. Now, it's not magic. It just, you can come to him, so come to him. That's, that's the way it works. And so just from that moment on, I remember I just said, well, I'm going to sit down, and for me, I'm very, you know, I, I have to do things by a certain, I, I can't do it if I'm just, I'm going to try and do it. So I said, right, at, at this time in the morning, bang, 30 minutes, I'm just going to sit and pray. And if I get distracted, who cares? Until the time's up, that's what I'm doing. I'll just come back and do it more. And that 30 minutes grew longer, and it grew, and I began to know God. And now barely a day will go by when I don't just, I just want to spend at least 60 minutes, an hour with him, just in prayer, just God. And, and Sundays recently I've been yearning for more than that. I do 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes the rest of the day, and maybe more. But it doesn't matter about how long it is. What matters is, do you have God? Are you coming to him? Because you can now, leaders, if you want to lead in this church, if you feel like God's given you any sense of responsibility for others, it must, must, must flow out of prayer. If this isn't all out of us being with God, we're, who knows where we're leading people? Because the whole point of the Christian faith is we can come to the Father. So if you as a leader are going to the Father, guess what? People will follow you to the Father. If you as a leader are not grounded in prayer, who knows where you're leading people? Because it's probably not to the Father. So how do you come to the Father? Verse 19. Actually, no, that's not right. How do you know if you come to the Father? How do you know? How do you know? Verse 19. Uh, it says, you used to be, but now you are. You used to be, but now you are. You're no longer strangers and foreigners. You go from a sense that you used to be, but now you are. Now, most identity statements, or what we're encouraged in culture, every single, um, by culture what I mean is pretty much everywhere, all the time. You're encouraged to base your identity on your self-esteem. Dorothy, 
hey, you're a really great singer. You should, you should base your identity on what you're good at. And we need to find something that we're good at for us to feel good about ourselves. We, we, we build our self-esteem based on what we're good at. Now that's just it's self-esteem. I can esteem myself because I'm good, or at least I'm better than them. That's how we gain our self-esteem, generally. But the Christian identity is this, I once was lost, but now I'm found. It doesn't matter how much you can esteem yourself. Christian identity is based on the fact that God in Jesus Christ went from you away from him to found you and brought you to him. He's adopted you, as we saw in verse 1. He's reconciled you. He's brought you to himself. So Christian identity is all about relationship to the Father. He has called you to him. That's what it is. So some of you, I, I do this all the time, we begin to build our identity on our self-esteem. Hey, I'm quite good at this, I'm quite smart, I'm better than these guys at least. You know, when I look in the mirror, I'm more attractive than them. But Christian identity is, I was lost, I was a stranger, but now I'm a citizen. I was a foreigner, but now I'm family. That's what it is. So, you see this happening with people when these things shift. You sometimes see this in people, we see it. You can see that something's changed. They've just, they've, they've been with God, they've identity, a sense of who they are shifted. Now, um, I'm going to pick on Dorothy and Precious, and Precious isn't here, which is a shame because I was going to make lots of fun of him, but he must be in youth. Um, but we'll just be kind to Dorothy instead. But um, imagine Precious is here and I'm making fun of him. Uh, but, you know, we've known each other for quite a number of years. And, and always faithful people, always happy to serve, always like, what can we do to, to kind of serve the Lord? Always. But sometimes you see the Lord just does something in somebody when you can just tell, I think they just, something shifted. And over the last few months, as, as I just speak to Dorothy and Precious, like something Something's shifting. There's this sense of just greater assurance that we're established in the Lord. And, and Precious very kindly invited me to his gym where, where uh, we, sat, we sat in the sauna together. And uh, ministry sometimes really hard. You know. <laughs> we sat there. And uh, I said, I, you know, I feel like something shifted in you recently, Precious. And he's like, how you feeling? And if you know Precious, you know you can't have a quiet conversation in a sauna. Like everybody there knows what, what you're talking about. It's like, yeah, you know, I've just decided to put God first in everything, like God first in everything. That's fine. Partly, can we just put this bit a bit quieter? <laughs> and partly, um, of course. Of course. You see it. When, when it's no longer about I'm good at this and self-esteem, you, you're no longer at risk of somebody else coming in who's better than you at that thing, and so your esteem for yourself goes down. When it's now like, he has found me, he has found me, I'm putting him first and everything, it, it's totally resilient. It's a totally resilient identity. Now it grows the more you know God, but Ask them about it. So we can become people 
whose identity is formed in our relationship with the Father. Yeah? We come to the Father. You can come to the Father. You can come to the Father. And he can form your identity. I used to be, but now I am. I used to be a foreigner, but now I'm family. I used to be uh, far off, and now I'm a citizen. Um, but more than that, more than that, we can become a Holy Spirit house. We, as the church, can become a Holy Spirit house. So you as an individual, you can go from, I now can come to God. You start coming to God. You go to God. You build a pattern in your life. You go to God. But more than that, we can become people who God comes and dwells with us. See the difference? You as an individual can go to God. Now, he lives in you by the Spirit. Of course he does. Of course he does. But there's something about the gathered people of God where it's not just me going to God now. I'm getting my key. I'm walking up these stairs. I'm going to God. No, it's something more than that that over and over again you see through the whole of the Bible what God really wants, what he loves, is when a people say, you come now and you dwell in our midst. He comes and lives with his people. Of course, this is what verses 20 to 21 say. Together, we are his house. What do people do in a house? They live there. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Just so we know what a house is, next verse. We're carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives, not where God visits, not where God pops in on a Sunday if you sing the songs that he really likes, no, where he lives. Do you see the difference? Do you see the incredible thing that is being cast here, the vision? Now this is Leslie and mine of the stuff. This is our great prayer for this church. You come and you've been part of this thing, many of you, but maybe you're just popping in for the first time. Well, what our great desire is that we would have God dwelling in our midst. So it's totally just like, this is God's place. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not just something that's out there that we've not tasted. We see this, and we're seeing it more and more. I just think of uh, some people like, I don't know if you were here for the baptisms that we had uh, a couple of months ago, but Sarah Ann was just saying how just she went from being bedridden pretty much with Lyme's disease about 12 months ago to comes, encounters God, God Himself. Something shifts that so many treatments and couldn't do, something shifts and just went back to work, didn't you? Yeah, a few weeks ago. So from that, do you see, like, this is God who does this. And kind of similar, yeah. About 12 months ago, just weighed down with chronic fatigue, and again, just went back to work. Yeah, it's, it's the work of God to shift things. And we had a just a fairly average small group on Wednesday night. I mean, we just had some food. We did a bit of discussing of a passage. We just read a passage of Ephesians and said, what do you think? And we said, does anybody want prayer? And a couple of people said, all right, I'll have some prayer. And so we just prayed for them. And both people were like, something extraordinary has just happened. 
I mean, it was really extraordinary. I just, praise God, like, I, we got a message from somebody saying something's shifted. And in the moment, somebody else said, something's just shifted. Now, this is stuff, this is just God's dwelling with his people. This is what happens when God dwells with his people. Now, the, Paul's writing this to the Ephesians, right? So, listen to what happens in Ephesus, just to raise our expectations of what might happen when God dwells with his people. First of all, Paul shows up and he's like, hey, you guys follow Jesus, but have you received the Holy Spirit? And they're like, mm, I, don't know. I don't know. So he prays to them, and he says they all speak in tongues and prophesy. And then, uh, Paul ministers in Ephesus. Paul went to the synagogue, preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom. This is Acts chapter 19. Some became stubborn, so Paul left the synagogue. And then it says, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. Handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, and they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. And then they, they start saying, hey, we don't want to follow magic anymore, and start burning the books. Now, I haven't yet. I might get a clean one and place it on someone. But it's the same spirit. It's the same God. Uh, has anybody done that? Anybody tried that? Taken like a, you know, this could be going to take off your apron. Anybody try it? Why not? It's in the book. It's the same spirit. We should expect. We should expect. When God is here. So how do we do this? Just really super quickly. I'm just, for those of you who like to take notes, uh, verse 20. Um, there's a guy called Tim Ross, black preacher from the US, who I really like. Uh, and uh, he says, um, is anybody taking notes? And then he gets people to raise their hand if they're taking notes. And he goes, uh, you see all you guys? You see these guys with their hands raised? In five years, you're going to be working for these guys. <laughs> Which I quite like. You're going to be working for these guys. He's speaking very hard. Taking notes is a good thing. Uh, so first thing, uh, to become a Holy Spirit house, it must be built on the apostles and the prophets. We must keep this book authoritative. Like in our day, uh, we've become increasingly about what resonates with me. Hey, it resonates with me. I mean, if you were, the staff need to rip it out of me for this. But what we do now is if it, if it sounds good, if it resonates with me, then I'm like, hey, this, this is a good thing. I'm going to believe it. And what I say is like, reson- if, you, you know, if you've been reading the Bible every day for 50 years, maybe you are resonating perfectly in line with the truth of Jesus Christ. But if you haven't, the likelihood is that it's a little bit arrogant to think that I'm resonating so perfectly that only things that resonate in exactly in time with me must be the Lord. No! The whole point is, we are being transformed, which means we're currently resonating slightly out of sync with the truth. So if you just choose, if it resonates with you, all you're doing is confirming stuff you already agree with and dismissing anything that challenges you. That's not how we do it. What we do is we say, is it in the book? Then it's true. Now I need to understand it. I need to understand what it means. But a lot of it doesn't resonate with me at the moment. So I need to change how I resonate to come into line with it. Does that make sense? Okay. So it needs to be built on the Apostles and Prophets. And we do the New Testament journey. I really want to encourage you, not because we do it, but just it gets you into the Bible. Five days a week, just five chapters. If you haven't seen it, you can just listen to it. Just watch the videos. 
We're trying to make this as simple for you as possible. There's loads of apps. Get into the book. Build your life on the book. Let it form you. With Christ himself as our cornerstone. You know, everything is built on Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Everything is about him. Do you know, I loved it. I was really worried what, what the worship set was going to be today. Because uh, I was like, for me, worship should always be all about Jesus. It should just be talking about his cross, his resurrection, how great he is. And then, of course, Dorothy chose a set which was every single song was about Jesus. This is so foundational for what it is. He is our cornerstone, which means we build on him. Everything's about Jesus. That's the second thing. Uh, and that's why we've changed. If you, if you, I, I, I don't know if you were here, but we didn't used to meet like this, but we were really convicted by the Lord that the, the architecture of how we meet as a people should have the cross at the centre, and it, and it should be us around the cross, not us kind of watching, but as a certain, like almost as, as best we're able in the round with the cross at the centre. We care about this. Uh, carefully joined together. This is a key part of theme in Ephesians. I, I can't go into it massively today. But carefully joined together. On the apostles and prophets. Number two, Christ is a cornerstone. Three, we must be carefully joined together. Now, what this means is, especially for the Jews and the Gentiles, don't do church separately from other people. You must be joined with people who are different from you. To me, I just... I, fundamentally believe this now. I'm utterly convinced in the New Testament, the thing that Paul got more annoyed about than anybody else was say, hey, you do church your way because you're Jews. We'll do church our way because we're Gentiles. And I just, I really believe that the Lord would not say no to that. He wants to see all nations, all cultures, all ethnicities coming together, being joined together carefully because if we're not, we don't get to be a Holy Spirit house. Now, we are doing a bake-off. It's, 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 it's a bit of fun, but it's a bit of fun to join us together. Do you understand? Like, if you stay for a service and you don't stay to chat to anybody at the end, it's harder to be joined together with others in the church. We do these moments, like throughout the year, we do about five or six different services where we try and say, hey, actively stay because you get joined together with others. And the beautiful thing is that lots of people have baked lots of different cakes. It's a symbol of the different things that we bring to be joined together. And I certainly intend to join plenty of those cakes together with my flesh after this service. Now, it's not just about that. Again, we do it in the round because, you know, the truth is, the truth is that something, I've said this before, but something like Dillish, when I first met Dillish, some things he did in his faith, I was a bit like, I don't understand why he's doing that. Like to me, that doesn't. Like he used to shout at the, the devil, the blood of Jesus. And I used to be like, what is he doing? I don't understand that. Now I understand. I want to do that. Because as he's just in his love, being just like chosen to be put together with me, I learned. The Lord's put something in him that I never had for myself. Do you understand? So this is often initially annoying. And then after a while, you realize it's not annoying, it's a gift of the Lord. Because he's using something to challenge me and bring something to me that's totally different. Now, in this church, we've got many Nigerians, Ghanaians, Sri Lankans, uh, Indians, and people from... I'm, I, I should never have started listing the countries. <laughs> that was a terrible mistake. <laughs> Jamaicans, come on, help me. <laughs> South Africans, help me out. Come on. 
What's that? UK, yeah, UK, yeah. <laughs> oh, we got some Welsh. Yeah, yeah. oh, Welsh, all right, yeah. yeah. What's that? Brazilians. Brazilians. Brazil. Italy. Italy. So we've got lots of people right from lots of places in the world, right? Yeah, we can stop now. <laughs> lots of places. Lots of places. Right. The Lord deliberately does this to bring us together because what we get from each other is way better than what we'd get if it was just all us white English people who've had the same background joining together. It's way better. It's the best church I've ever been part of. Best. Hardest and best. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so, here's one thing we're going to do as a family uh, to try and do this. Next slide. The end one. Okay. Uh, a couple of people have said to me, look, we feel that the Lord would have us as a church care for people who are going to struggle to pay their bills over the winter. So what we've done, we've taken a pot of money, we've put it here and we said we're going to call it the Jehovah Jireh Fund, which means God is my provider. Okay? We're going to put money in this pot. If you know somebody in this church who you think is going to struggle to pay their bills over the winter, there will be, I checked this morning, it's not quite there yet, there will be on our website, on the giving page, a form you can fill out where you just say their name, say their address, say their email address, and we will send them money to get them through the winter. This is your money that you've given to this church. We are going to give to people because it's carefully joining people together to become a Holy Spirit house. You understand? So this is what we want to do. Now, a few people uh, probably wouldn't nominate themselves. So please have your eyes open, spot them. I think it would just be good. Nominate them. We want to send the money. We have a pot of money that's going to be used just for this. So please do this. We want to carefully join ourselves together as we love one another. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, it's, we're going to follow 1 Timothy chapter 5 as our basic understanding of how to do this. So at this point we're saying this is for people in our church. We're not saying there's a neighbour who is really short, who's not in our church. We're going to come to that. We're going to do something more for that towards Christmas. But this one is for people in our church community. Okay? And we're going to nominate them and say we want to give them money to get them through. Got it? Sound like a good plan? Okay, good. Um, like last one, number five. We become a temp holy temple for the Lord. Worship is our greatest priority. We're for the Lord. Like a birthday present is for a birthday girl. We're for the Lord. We're for Him. You understand? Like we're the present. He is the recipient. We're for Him. But we're also for the Lord. Like a shoe is for a foot. Right? We create ourselves to say, we're for you. Come and Lord, would you come and dwell in our midst. Alright? You understand? That's for the notes. We're finished. Let's pray. 